When it comes from exogenous sources or outside sources, our body doesn't detect that and can't therefore slow it down. So we're just having all of these extra hormones come in that unfortunately, because we're getting that higher amount of estrogen and other sex steroid hormones, we're increasing our exposure to that, which is increasing our risk for breast cancer. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen this week, or a view, or a download. Wherever it is in the world that you are, we appreciate the fact that you are here. Today on the show, we are going to be taking a close look at the link between dairy and cancer, specifically breast cancer as our month-long Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign continues. For that, we are going to be welcoming oncology nutritionist Allison Tierney to the show for the first time. And this is Allison's life. She counsels patients who have been diagnosed with cancer on their diet. She is the perfect person to answer the question, what is it about dairy that poses such a risk? Now she's here. She's going to shine light on the connection as we dive into the science. We're going to learn what the research is showing. And we're going to be talking about the link between fat and estrogen, the hormones 5-alpha-P and IGF-1, and the protein mTOR. Lots to get into here. And, and as a bonus, there are some peripheral benefits that can come from eliminating dairy as well. Things like clearer skin. And to top all of that off, this is personal for Allison, because Allison's mother is a breast cancer survivor. But also on the show today is another breast cancer survivor with an inspirational and uplifting story of her own. Jennifer Hill is her name, and she traveled all the way from Georgia to be with us in the studio here at the Physicians Committee in Washington, D.C. Now, Jen grew up as an athlete. She played competitive sports in college and always took good care of her body. She prided herself on what she thought was a healthy diet. And then one day, her phone rang. It was her doctor calling to tell her that she had breast cancer. Now, Jen's story comes with a unique twist. Her body grew so sick during treatment that she struggled to keep any food down. That is, until she found a plant-based formula that turned out to be a game changer. And now, wouldn't you know that plant-based drink is among the most popular at the oncology center where she was receiving treatment. And if that isn't enough, also on the show today is Dr. Christy Funk. She will be here now to talk with us about the second of our four steps to fighting breast cancer. That step, getting up and getting out and moving your body. Now, exercising doesn't mean that you have to go from being a couch potato to a marathon runner, because as Dr. Funk will explain, a stroll isn't just good for the soul. 
it can help boost your immune system, which in turn may help to kill cancer cells when they form in the body. The Physicians Committee's Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign is made possible in part by Wellness Forum Health, specializing in informed medical decision-making by offering diet and lifestyle intervention programs for both patients and practitioners. And they offer direct-to-consumer healthcare services through their own network of providers led by Dr. Pam Popper. Wellness Forum Health, go where health matters. Online at wellnessforumhealth.com. The Invisible Vegan, a powerful documentary about unhealthy diet trends in the African-American community and the growing plant-based movement that is fighting back. Follow actress and filmmaker Jasmine Leva, who has devoted the past seven years to a healthier lifestyle as she tackles this issue head on. Screen the film for your community and learn more at TheInvisibleVegan.com. And by Copper Branch a favorite plant-based fast casual restaurant with a twist. Their foods are cancer-fighting, environmentally conscious, and full of nutrition. Find your nearest location at eatcopperbranch.com. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. All month long, we are tackling breast cancer. It is our Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign. And this particular week, we are putting the focus squarely on dairy. And I thought the perfect person to talk to about this. She is an oncology dietitian. She is board certified in oncology nutrition. She is also the co-founder of Wholesome LLC, and she is also just a remarkable woman. With that, we welcome Allison Tierney to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Chuck. It's a pleasure to be here. The pleasure is all mine. I think a lot of people still have this perception that dairy is healthy, it's essential for strong teeth and bones, and you need it for the calcium, and milk is the only place in the world that you can get calcium. That's something that we're taught at such a young age. But you, as an oncology nutritionist, when you hear somebody say that, what comes to mind? Well, first off, Chuck, I'm from Wisconsin, so I absolutely believed that growing up as well. There was always a glass of milk by my dinner table because I thought that was the healthiest drink to have. And so I grew up with that mentality too, but as I learned the research more and more, dairy was actually the first thing that I took out of my diet when I transitioned to a whole food plant-based diet because dairy, unfortunately, is a really big culprit when it comes not only to cancer but chronic disease as well. Why is that? I, I was talking with uh, Dr. Neil Barnard uh, last week, and he and I were chatting about, you know, people not really putting the connection in there when you eat this dairy that it's so loaded with hormones that your body kind of freaks out, essentially, to put it in, in layman's terms, you know. Um, let's Let's get a little bit nerdy about that. What are these hormones in there that are just wreaking havoc? Yeah, absolutely. I love to get a little bit nerdy about nutrition. So when it comes, <laughs> so when it comes to hormones found in dairy, uh, the biggest thing is a lot of people will say, well, if I'm drinking a milk that comes from a cow that's not treated with growth hormone, then I have nothing to worry about, right? Well, the answer is unfortunately that's not true because all foods of animal origin contain sex steroid hormones such as estrogen. 
Mm. So it, it's a natural component of animal metabolism. So it doesn't matter if it's organic, grass-fed, not fed hormones. It's naturally found in that product. So when we are consuming dairy products and other animal-based products, but specifically dairy, when we're consuming that, we're getting extra estrogen and sex steroid hormones that are coming into our body and being used as that. So what a lot of people don't know is that this hormone that is from animal-based products is actually very identical to human estrogen. Hmm. So for example, did you know that chicken estrogen is actually identical to human estrogen? I had no idea. That yeah, is the like first I've ever heard. Yeah. So like chemical structure wise, it's actually the same where there's a lot of talk about phytoestrogens, which I know you guys have discussed on your show before that it's not the same as human estrogen, but chicken estrogen is the same and identical as human estrogen. Isn't that fascinating? That is mind blowing. I never knew that the humans and chickens could be so similar. Yeah, exactly. So um, the biggest thing is that um, when we have this extra, these extra hormones coming in, our body naturally has a feed, a feedback loop. And the feedback loop means, okay, our body, we're making all of these hormones. Oh, now we have enough. So we're going to stop. We don't need it anymore. Or we're going to slow it down. When it comes from exogenous sources or outside sources, our body doesn't detect that and can't therefore slow it down. So we're just having all of these extra hormones come in that unfortunately, because we're getting that higher amount of estrogen and other sex steroid hormones, we're increasing our exposure to that, which is increasing our risk for breast cancer and other hormone related cancers. So hormones aren't exactly like excess nutrients. If somebody is taking a supplement and odds are, you know, a lot of it just comes out with bodily waste, not exactly the same thing when you're ingesting hormones. Exactly. It's not the same thing that our body is still going to utilize it. So for example, um, when we're overweight or obese, all of our fat cells produce estrogen. So the more fat cells we have, the more estrogen we produce. It's not just something that we can just get rid of through our urine, like a water soluble vitamin, our body hangs onto that. And unfortunately uses it in many ways and using it usually meaning fueling extra growth. So when it comes to cancer, the biggest thing that I teach my clients is that it's all about excess. That's the issue here is excess. So yes, do we need estrogen? Absolutely. Do we need sex steroid hormones? Absolutely. But it's all about when things are over consumed and in, too, in excess that it promotes excess growth. So when we talk about excess growth, cancer is uncontrolled cell growth. So we want just enough growth. We want enough growth that our hair cells turn over, our skin cells turn over, GI cells turn over, but we don't want that extra growth because that's where cells can start becoming rogue or just grow with abandonment. And that's where things like cancer can develop. Yeah, And, and that just, it, it makes all the sense in the world to me. You just have too much of something and, and your body just just kind of doesn't know what to do with it. And when the body doesn't know what to do with something, again, I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a doctor, so this is all lay terms, but the body just kind of spazzes out. It doesn't know what to do, so that's when things kind of go haywire. And I know that that's a project that uh, you and Dr. Barnard have actually teamed up for uh, recently, a hormone uh you know, talking about how hormones can go haywire, but we'll we'll talk about that in the future on another yeah. show. Um, let's talk specifically about some of these hormones. Um, I know that a big one specific to breast cancer is IGF one. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yep. So IGF-1 stands for insulin-like growth factor. So the biggest thing about IGF-1 is it is known as the primary growth hormone that promotes cancer. So what I always tell people is IGF-1 is actually a natural hormone within our body. When we're kids, adolescents, when we're growing, we have higher amounts of this IGF-1, and that's completely natural. That's completely normal. But when we start getting into adulthood and we have more IGF-1, I always ask people, how much do we actually want to grow as adults? Not too much, right? We Again, right. we want those certain cells to turn over, but we don't want excess growth. So IGF-1, again, it complements that Ig- that excess growth. And the higher the IGF-1 is in your system, the higher the chance of developing cancer. And when it comes into dairy and nutrition and other animal-based um, foods, unfortunately, the release of IGF-1 is actually appeared to be triggered by the consumption of animal-based protein. Mm. So that's where this IGF-1, again, it's all about that overexpression. And if we're eating too much of it, um, we know that we're going to be overexpressing that growth. Another one that uh, I know comes up in these discussions is something called 5-alpha-P. And that's another one that I'm really not too familiar with at all. Shed some light on that one for us. Yeah, so 5-alpha-P is another sex steroid hormone that's found in dairy. And it actually plays a large role in creating testosterone, but it's also been found to be the driving force behind acne. Now, a lot of people will be like, wait, Allison, why are you talking about acne? We're talking about cancer here. But the thing is, is that there's actually been found to be a connection between acne and cancer, and more specifically between acne and breast cancer and prostate cancer. It's a visual indicator that there's excess hormone and excess growth that could be happening. Really? Yep. So this 5-alpha-P has been shown to be capable of what's called inducing estrogen receptors in breast cancer cells. So what that means is that cancer cells can become more sensitive to estrogen and thus increasing the cancer cell's ability to use the estrogen to fuel its growth. So again, it kind of comes back to that natural feedback loop is that it's fueling that growth, it's getting extra, and we can't regulate that. So when we're talking about acne, I mean, that's a sliding scale. Should somebody be worried if they get the occasional blemish or should they be more concerned if it's kind of a chronic persistent thing? Be more concerned when if it's a chronic persistent thing. So I can absolutely relate to adult acne and prior to adopting a plant-based diet, I struggled with it completely. Um, But as I got rid of that dairy and I got rid of that meat, my acne just cleared up. I remember talking to my dad and he's like, wow, your face looks so much better. And this is like my late twenties that I'm talking to him about it. And I was like, yeah, I think it's like this diet change that I'm doing. He's like, I think it's because you're not eating as much meat or drinking as much dairy. And I was like, I think you're on to something, dad. And then this (laughs) was kind of like, I had already been diving into things a little bit, but I kept doing more and more. Um, I used to have horrible acne. And um, I've been able to definitely clear that up through diet, primarily alone, just diet. And so, um, yes, if again, if it's chronic, that's more of an issue because there's underlying issues there. I would have never guessed because just looking at you on Skype right now, you have this, you have such clear complexion. It's a healthy complexion. Dare I say a glow? Uh, Thank you know, you. <laughs> I, I just, you don't strike me as, as a person who ever struggled with acne, you know? So, yeah, um, it was actually pretty horrible. Uh, I'm so glad that's behind me. So, this is also something important to touch on. I think that a lot of times people, 
are scared to make adjustments to their diet because they think that the people who are telling them to do this have always had the perfect diet themselves. Maybe your patients think that, well, you know, she was probably raised whole food plant-based since childbirth, but nothing could be further from the path. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth, you know? It, do you think that I mean, it, it helps you having this story and this background of like having been there yourself and, and being able to make that connection, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because, yeah, people, I was just talking to someone about this yesterday. They, they said that you can relate to people because you weren't just this person that, quote unquote, like went vegan or grew up vegan and so forth. Um, it was all about, um, like, I grew up with what I would say a healthy standard diet where it was like small amounts of meat, but I'd say it was definitely higher amounts of dairy um, because of where I live and being in Wisconsin and everything like that. Um, but I think it really does help that I have that perspective that I actually did eat that way at one time and made the transition into a whole food plant-based diet because I can help people do that transition and have been there before and can also talk to them about not only the health benefits, but the other things that they'll experience like increased energy, improved skin, I mean, the benefits and can actually relate to how that happened and what the progression was like. So it helps a lot. Do you see kind of a like a, a change in, in your patients when you explain that story to them and they're like, wow, OK, like I got this now, like it, it's cool, like almost a sense of relief? Yeah, I think it's also what's huge sense of relief for a lot of people is seeing that somebody that's done it before that didn't grow up just living that way, that it was just natural and innate in them. Um, I have always had an interest in nutrition, but it's not like I had the most perfect diet growing up. I used to, as a kid, I pretty much just liked corn, carrots, and maybe some romaine lettuce every once in a while. So to teach them how you can expand your diet, even when you maybe are one of the pickiest eaters there are, that you can, I can relate to that and encourage them to make those changes. Um, so yeah, it's, it's helped with my clients in their process so much more. It definitely will make them sit on the edge of their seat and listen up a little bit more. Completely different, but when I speak to people about weight loss and they don't know my story and I hold up that old pair of pants, I can tell right away that they are listening more intently. Maybe you see a few more pens, you know, picked up and, and you know, they start taking some more notes. So it's really kind of cool and important uh, that you have that background. I want to go back to uh, these hormones here because we are talking about dairy and breast cancer. I don't want to get too far off topic. Um, there's another one in particular that we need to touch on, and this one is called mTOR. What is mTOR? So mTOR is actually a protein that's found within our body that's essentially the master regulator of cell growth. So here it is again, me coming back to like cell growth and, and growth. And it's really the fact that dairy, eggs, meat, junk food, etc. can actually increase the IGF-1 and this also this thing called mTOR. Um, so what it does is it upregulates this and that's increasing the cellular response due to the increase of the number of receptors on the cell. But I'll tell explain that what that means. Um, so it, what it does is it actually activates this um, activator of TOR that leads again to that overstimulation. 
So it, again, it's a natural signaling pathway, but when it's a problem is when we're overstimulating it and we overstimulate it with things like dairy and animal products. And it's actually been recognized as the fundamental driving force behind diseases like acne, obesity, type two diabetes, hypertension, Alzheimer's and cancer. Um, so when we have this master regulator of cell growth that is upregulated, then we are going to be upregulating or increasing cell growth, which is where cancer, it all comes back to cancer again. That's a big one. I mean, you just rattled off so many different chronic conditions, you know, with this one protein. Um, I, I'm sitting here and I look down at my notes and I came across this stat. And I think that the idea for a lot of people, because dairy, let's face it, it is so addictive. This is another topic that Dr. Barnard and I have discussed at length is, you know, just how addictive cheese can be because of something called casomorphines, you know, and who doesn't like something that's high in fat, which cheese obviously is. But this study concluded that uh, if you reduce your consumption of dairy by at least a half a serving per day, you significantly lower, significantly lower your risk of developing breast cancer. And that was uh, part of the cancer epidemiology study. Um, You know, so you can start with little changes and work your way, you know, so don't be afraid that you have to go all in right overnight. Yep, exactly. And that's what I say to a lot of my clients as well. So if maybe you're drinking um, three glasses of milk a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, even if you just cut it back to just dinner time, you're going to have some drastic improvements right there. Um, My mom is actually a breast cancer survivor. And my mom used to drink like two 16 ounce glasses of milk for breakfast every day. And um, by sharing a lot of this information and just also experiencing it, she's been able to, she cut out dairy completely at her breakfast time. She hasn't completely gotten rid of it, but she just had a follow-up with her doctor the other day and all of her labs are better as a result, including her cholesterol and so forth. And knowing that it can reduce the risk of breast cancer recurrence because of reducing the overactivation of mTOR, IGF-1, and the extra estrogen that could be circulating is super important to her because her breast cancer was estrogen receptor positive. So by reducing dairy, you're reducing all these things that affect hormones in the female body and the male body. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that your mom is a survivor and she's doing so well. I do have a question, if you don't mind, and, and this is a serious one. She is a survivor. She knows that there is this link between dairy and cancer. And it's not just her that faces this, but we were just talking about weaning yourself off. But why is it so hard, even in that position, to cut it out completely, do you think? Is it because it's so addictive? I think it has something to do with the fact that it is so addictive, but I also think it has to do with the social environment that surrounds dairy. So and I think that when people have those social events, those entertaining events, they don't necessarily want to be the person that's picky and ask if there's dairy in that or and so forth. So I think it has a lot more to do with the social environment, too, in addition to the addictive properties of it. Let's talk about eating for uh, survivors. Their diet, it needs to obviously be cleaner. You, you want to keep that risk of recurrence as low as possible. What are some things that you would recommend for somebody who's been there and has come out on the other side already? How should they be modifying their diet? Absolutely. So I do recommend their diet going into the direction of a whole food plant-based diet as much as possible. And usually what I tell people is if they're not interested in adopting that 100%, or at least not right now, I kind of talk about like this spectrum. So 
on one side of the spectrum, you have a whole food plant-based diet, which we know from research is ultimately the best diet for the prevention of cancer and several chronic diseases. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have the standard American diet. And I always tell people, the closer you can just inch a little bit over to that other side of the spectrum, you're gonna be making drastic improvements. And it's because the research shows, and if we're gonna talk specifically more about breast cancer, but it research shows that there is lower breast cancer risk associated with higher fruit and vegetable intake, and then also higher breast cancer risk associated with higher saturated fat intake, which meat, dairy, and processed foods essentially. So if we can talk about even just increasing their fruit and vegetable intake and decreasing their saturated fat intake, they're going to improve their chances, excuse me, they're going to improve their, um, they're going to improve lowering their risk of cancer recurrence pretty significantly. And even beyond that, research shows that by eating a plant-based diet, along with walking every day, can actually improve our cancer defenses in just two weeks. So like, it's pretty incredible. So they, and in this particular study, they found a suppression of cancer growth that was 20 to 30% better than just two weeks prior when they were eating more of a standard American diet. So you can increase your cancer defenses 20 to 30% by making simple changes in your diet and exercising more. That is amazing. And, and that kind of goes back to, you know, just baby stepping yourself there is like we were talking about with your mom and cutting back on the dairy and the you know just market improvements that she's in seeing that's really remarkable so we are talking specifically about dairy but i think that a lot of people at this point might be wondering okay well you just mentioned fruits and vegetables kind of broadly but are there some in particular that they should be looking to eat absolutely well the biggest thing when we're talking about it broadly i do want people just to t- think about fiber more right so the foods that contain fiber fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, and nuts and seeds. And that's because um, with when we have higher fiber intakes, research shows, for example, that postmenopausal or excuse me, premenopausal women have 62% lower odds of breast cancer with higher fiber intakes. And it even goes for estrogen negative and or the triple negative one that they have the benefits are 85% lower risk for the triple negative breast cancers, the higher the intake of fiber. So first and foremost, if you can just include more fiber into your diet, that's beneficial right there. So, um, and I do have to note that that research shows that it's not effective if you take it from supplemental form. So if you were to drink, take Metamucil or something like that, you're not gonna get the benefits of it. So I would love for people to be eating dark leafy green vegetables, cruciferous vegetables, because those are going to provide them other cancer fighting nutrients or phytonutrients that are going to give them that benefit. But sometimes when I say eating more cruciferous vegetables, people are not really excited about Brussels sprouts and broccoli and cauliflower, right? (laughs) But that's such a fun word to say. Like you can't say it without smiling, (laughs) cruciferous. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And but those are things that I never used to like either. And one thing that um, my sister and I used to do, we actually went to college together. But every time we went to the grocery store, we decided that we were going to try one new fruit or vegetable. And then we'd come home and we like YouTube, like best way to roast cauliflower. And we would do it. And from that experiment of simply just dedicating ourselves to trying, we found that there were so many more things that we liked. Sure, there were still a few things that we didn't like, but we found that we liked so many more things just by simply doing that experiment. So research shows that if you can just simply increase that risk or excuse me, increase that fiber intake, you are naturally going to reduce your intake. 
or excuse me, you're naturally going to reduce your risk of breast cancer. So for example, for every 20 grams of fiber intake that you have per day, it is associated with a 15% lower risk. So for example, if you have 40 grams of fiber per day, that's associated with a 30% lower risk of breast cancer. So it just goes to show the power of fiber. So yet, so when it comes to specific foods overall, I usually just tell people fiber rich foods, which are plant-based foods, those dark leafy green vegetables, which are a powerhouse when it comes to nutrition content. But I also really like recommending flax seeds. Mm. And specifically ground flax seeds, because we can't actually absorb the nutrients from a full formed flax seed because the shell is too tough. So ground flax seeds, they contain a phytonutrient called lignans. And there are 100 times more lignans in flax seed than any other type of food that there are that there is. So flax seed is actually a wonderful breast cancer powerhouse against it. So I love people to incorporate, if they can, a tablespoon of ground flaxseed every day. And the we're talking about prevention for, for survivors. You know, we want to prevent the recurrence. But what about somebody that's currently undergoing treatment? The same kind of principles, the same philosophy applies here? The same philosophy and same principles do apply. Now, I would say, though, when someone's going through active treatment, things can be different depending on the side effects that they're experiencing. So if someone is having extreme diarrhea, for example, I actually don't want them to be having a tablespoon of gratin flaxseed a day until we can get that under control. So that's where it's really important for individuals to be working with a registered dietitian or a cancer dietitian during their journey. However, when people are going throughout the course of treatment, this is more just anecdotal evidence, meaning we, from our experience, but individuals that adopt more of a whole food plant-based diet throughout the course of treatment, we're noticing much less side effects and better adherence to their treatment. So I have encouraged Dr. Barnard. I'm like, Dr. Barnard, you got to do a research study on the plant-based diet during treatment because it's pretty incredible just the things that I've seen in my own patients for some treatment protocols that are really, really tough. And not to say any of them are easy, but then they're really, really tough and they're having minimal to no side effects. It's pretty incredible to see them go through that journey and come out even stronger on the other side. Yeah, I had somebody on the show uh, who told me about during the course of his treatment, he had prostate cancer, but he that's when he went on a whole food plant-based diet. And everybody else in his group, they would go in every week together to get chemo. Everybody else in his group continued eating that standard American diet with hamburgers and donuts and things like that. They would actually eat that during the course of treatment. And he didn't. And while everybody began having those horrible side effects that we always hear about, he did remarkably well, remarkably well. Yeah, absolutely. And I see that in my own patients time and time again. That's really an incredible thing. Um, real quick, because I want to ask you also about this amazing course that you have coming up. But uh, since this is dairy, let's kind of put the capper on that. As far as plant-based milks, milk alternatives, and cancer prevention would you suggest soy milk because there are so many benefits of cancer prevention from soy? Is that the best one to go with or can you really kind of not go wrong here? I don't think you can really go wrong overall. I do like soy milk as a choice as long as it's unsweetened um, because there are so many great benefits of those soy products being protective against breast cancer. 
when it comes to research for other milks, there is some research in almond milk, although almond milk doesn't provide the same exact nutrient profile that soy would. It actually, the research is actually more particular in prostate cancer, but because it's a hormonally based disease as well, we can re somewhat relate that to breast cancer or infer from it. And it actually, dairy milk increased the pr prostate cancer progression by 30%, but almond milk decreased the prostate cancer progression by 30%. So from across the board, you can't really go wrong. I do advise people to be cautious of like a coconut milk only because of the high amounts of saturated fat in that. Um, and we do know overall that breast cancer individuals, they there are remarkable studies out there that show a low fat, whole food, plant-based diet is the best approach for breast cancer prevention and for prevention of recurrence. We need to talk about this course. When you and I were emailing last week setting up this interview, you were telling me, you said, hey, Chuck, I've got this thing, and it is the greatest thing ever. It's coming. You have to check it out. We have to talk about it. It's called Freedom from Cancer, Your Plant-Based Journey. What is this? How's it going to help? This is your brainchild, and I'm, I'm just tickled, tickled pink that you can talk about it here. Yeah, so um, Freedom from Cancer, Your Plant-Based Journey was a course that I developed. It's going to be an all online course, self-paced. So I tell anybody that has internet access and speaks English that it's for them. And what I really do is I take a deep dive into the what, the why, and the how when it comes to plant-based nutrition and cancer. So I dive deep into um, explaining the research and how it applies to cancer. And then not only saying like, okay, why do we want to reduce dairy from our diet? Because it increases estrogen, it increases mTOR, et cetera. But what foods should you be including and why? And then the last part is about how to do it, giving our best tips and tricks for implementation. So I created this course. It's actually taken me about a year to create between, you know, life and work and all those types of things. Um, it has been the hardest project that I've ever worked on, but the best project that I've ever worked on. And the reason that I created it is because even as an oncology dietitian, I didn't find that there was a one place go-to resource for me to learn all about the research available for nutrition and cancer. So I wanted to compile it all together and teach it in a manner that under individuals could understand it easily, even if they're not in the healthcare field. And so I do think it would be great for anybody that is a healthcare provider, but also patients. And it's be for anybody who has a cancer diagnosis, who wants to simply reduce their risk of developing cancer, or is at high risk because maybe they have um, a family history or a gene mutation and so forth. So it's really about anybody that's interested in reducing their risk of developing cancer or recurrence of cancer um, and that wants to use nutrition to help complement their, um, their reducing their risk. And where can people go to sign up? So people can go to, so our website is wholesome LLC. So that's W H O L E S O M E LLC.com. And then they can do slash cancer dash course. And so they'll be able to find all that information there, or they can just go to our social media, which is Instagram at wholesome LLC. Same with our Facebook. And you can find the information there. And I'll make it real easy. I'm just going to put the link right to it in the show notes for this podcast episode if you're listening on Apple Podcast as well. So just go ahead and give it a click. Give it a click, and you will not be disappointed. Uh, Allison Tierney, thank you so much for spending this time with us and, and shedding so, so much light on such an important topic. Cannot thank you enough. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me here and all the work that the whole Physicians Committee does. I think it's super important, so thank you for the work that you do. You are more than welcome, and I'm sure that you and I will be speaking again in the near future. 
Sounds great. I look forward to it. Something cool to note here is that there are scholarships available for Allison's courses, and we've posted a link to them in the show notes for this episode. And Allison, man, she is staying busy. Check this out. She's offering two big webinars coming up, and those webinars are on three common myths surrounding cancer and nutrition. That's a big topic. Myths about cancer and nutrition. Two sessions are available on October 16th and 17th, and we've also posted links to register for them in the show notes for this episode. Now, to put a capper on our dairy conversation, the Physicians Committee recently filed a petition with the Food and Drug Administration that would require a health warning label to be placed on dairy cheese. These warnings, they're, they're much like the ones that would be found on a pack of cigarettes because the argument could be made that consumers are being made aware of the link between tobacco and cancer. So shouldn't the same warnings apply to dairy and cancer? A couple quick stats I want to share with you. The Life After Cancer Epidemiology Study finds that women who have already been diagnosed with breast cancer and who eat one or more servings of high-fat dairy products every day, talking about cheese and ice cream or milk, well, those women have a 49% higher risk of breast cancer mortality. And a 2017 study that was funded by the National Cancer Institute, it compared the diets of women both with and without breast cancer. That study finds that women who ate the most cheese have a 53% increased risk for breast cancer. And researchers believe that the same hormones that we've been talking about today, they believe that those same hormones could be a big reason for that jump. That's just something to think about. Now, you can view the petition that we filed with the FDA. We've posted that online at pcrm.org. And, of course, a link to it is also in the show notes. Next up, the story of Jennifer Hill, a breast cancer survivor, but she never thought that cancer would ever even be in the cards for her. She thought she was eating right, had taken care of her body, was in tune with nutrition. But then one day she received the news that nobody wants to hear. She learned she had breast cancer. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. The Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign rolls on. And today, I am honored to be sitting across the table from a true hero. She is a survivor, and she is an inspiration. And with that, we welcome Jennifer Hill to the show. Jen, thank you so much for being here. I'm glad to be here. Let's just start. Tell us about your story. Well, I... Uh I was diagnosed with fibrocystic uh, myalgia, I guess that's what they called it, where I get cysts periodically. So mm -hmm. I was used to getting them around my chest around my period time, and one didn't go away. About three weeks after, it was still there, and then I started feeling pain in my, in my armpit and whatnot, and I went in and found out that, in fact, I did have breast cancer. Mm. And it went from 
two less than three centimeter lesions that they said they saw on the sonogram to when they finally did the removal, uh, there were three seven centimeter ones. So it was like a huge, like a fist size in there. So I got in just in time, basically. It had gotten to the point where it was starting to grow on its own. And that's... Wow. It would have been a real quick. Yeah. Been yeah. very quick. And and you're so young. I mean, this must have been a real oh, yeah. a surprise, a shock. I mean, it always is. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, wow. Yeah, it was a... I'm not even... It, what's worse is I was told at work. I was sitting at work and the doctor's office called me and told me over the phone while I'm at work. Over so, the phone? So, yeah. Over Didn't the phone. ask you to come in? Mm-hmm. Nope. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Well, <laughs> they didn't ask me. To, they didn't ask any of that. So uh, they told me over the phone, and of course, had prompt had a panic attack for a little bit, and mm. then tried to figure out what we could do. And for me, a lot of it immediately turned to what can I do in addition to the chemo's and the things that they were talking about. What adjuvant uh, therapies can I do, um, natural wise, food wise, those types of things. And it was a struggle for a while. You know, there's not a lot of not a lot of information out there on exactly what you should be eating or not should not be eating all i know is they said sugar was evil you know you can't have any sugar but that wasn't really didn't explain why and it also left a lot of options lacking because most of our foods seem to have sugar in it whether we want it to or not oh it's hidden in there for sure it's everywhere and you in names that you don't even know what it's called and i now had found out i had to avoid soy so i can't have any soy product either because of the estrogen mine is her2 positive and it's also estrogen and progesterone positive so i had uh the triple whammy there where i had to try to figure out what can I eat? What can I do? Sure. How can I how can I outlive this, basically? Right, right. So all that confusion on top of the shock and I'm sure a whole lot of fear that comes um, with that as yeah. well. It, inordinate amounts, yeah. I mean, I'm not – generally, I'm not one that gets afraid of too much of anything, but that one – this really did me in for a while, mentally mm. too. And the more I was having trouble with nutrition and things, the more the mental part got even worse. Well, let's let's go back to that day when you got that phone call. If you don't mind my asking, mm-hmm. you're clearly a brave person being here on the show. Can you tell us how old you were? Yeah, I was 46. 46. You don't look 46 at all. You Thank look you. Like you. I mean, my <laughs> goodness, we could have gone to school together. 46. Yeah. When you got that, when you got that phone call, still, I mean, you've got your whole life ahead of you. I thought point. it was done. You thought that you. I re- thought I was done. Really? That it was I mean, because anyone, anytime you hear about breast cancer, especially those of us that were born in the 70s and watched it in the 80s and 90s, women died. Period. They they lived for maybe five years and then they died, or maybe they outlasted it. The rare person outlasted it, right? And I didn't know what was out there to help. I didn't have any idea what the drugs were and the things that they were going to be doing and different ways of handling it. So, yeah, the fear was real. It's like, wow. Do you remember what what that emotion was when you were first told? You're on that other end of the phone. The doctor's office says, hey, you have breast cancer. Do you remember exactly how you felt in that moment? I just remember feeling like somebody hit me really, really hard, just smacked me in the face. Yeah. That I didn't, I remember like feeling like I was going to pass out because I didn't just, what do you do? I mean, what do you say? That's like the scariest thing you can be told is you have cancer. And, you know, to have no history of it. And I'm adopted as well. So I don't really know, you know, what the history was. I don't know where this came from. I don't know how I got it. I've lived a relatively healthy life. And so it was just panic. It's like, what else can I do differently? I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do any of these things. What am I doing wrong? Right. Wow. Yeah. Adopted. You really don't know 
if you have that that gene. I assume you you hadn't had the the testing to know. Not at you, that point, I hadn't. Okay. And I should clarify a little. My mother is my real mother. I my my dad my dad is adopted. I'm adopt his adopted daughter, and my mother was adopted too. So she doesn't know her history at all. So oh, really, wow. it's just like the two of us. We know each other. Gotcha. And we don't know anything else. So there really was a big giant open spot that we had no answers for. Right. That, you know, my mother's been in perfect health. She didn't get breast cancer. Nothing like that. And when they finally did the testing, they did, I think it's, is it 32, the fish testing that they do? They test 32 different uh, genes to see if you have any of the markers. I literally had none. Mm. So this is a rogue for me. So that's, that's actually something that Dr. Christy Funk and I were discussing on the show a couple of weeks ago, um, the fact that a lot of times, unfortunately, people who are diagnosed, they they have no family history right. of it. They may not even have that marker. It's just like, why is this happening? Why does this happen to me? And I would imagine being put in that position, I, I mean, I can't even imagine, honestly, but I would feel singled out, scared, yes, angry. Angry was another one that I wasn't prepared for. I wasn't prepared to feel angry, and then I was furious. I was like, all these things I did, all the things I was supposed to do, and then I didn't do the things I wasn't supposed to do, and what you know, my body has just completely betrayed me. How am I ever going to trust it again? Mm. It felt like a betrayal. You mm. know, I just didn't understand. You know, even to this day, I try not to think too hard about all of that because it still is frustrating. Right. It's still very frightening to to think, you know, what if a particle or two got through the lymph nodes? Because it was stage 3B, so it got as far as it could go without being, you know, in the next one. So what if something's floating around, you know? Can't live like that. That's a heck of a burden to carry. Um, and you seem like such a, a happy person. So, I am. Like, let's let's talk about how you kind of dealt with that, because I'm sure that there may be somebody listening to this right now who has been in a similar situation or is battling breast cancer as we speak. It's like, well, how did you turn that corner? What was your release? Hmm. Honestly, it's going to sound so canned, and I mean it as sincerely as I possibly can. Gratefulness is the best medicine. Everything I could be grateful for, I was. Everything I could be thankful for, I was. If there was something that I was just really angry about, I'd have to, I would force myself to think about something different. I had friends that sent me cards. I made a wall. I, we called it my wall of thankfulness because literally everything we got, we tacked up on the wall. Cards, pictures, whatever. And people, your friends, they want to know. You may not want to tell them, but they want to know. And if you involve them and let them see that you, you need the support. Yeah. And don't hide. A lot of women with breast cancer, they do. They hide. They don't want people to see it. They don't want, you know, it's kind of one of those things you deal with, but you don't really want out in, in the public space. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. I was wide open with my friends about it. And it helped a lot to have people to talk to. Why do you think it is that a lot of people don't want to talk about it with anybody? Is it because then they would have to admit the I think situation that's part of it. that they're facing? I think that's part of it. Plus, also, it's I think it's the one disease that women get that they're embarrassed of almost because you could lose your chest. That's a part of a woman's identity. Me personally, as soon as they were gone, I was fine because I said, look, if it ever comes back, I'd like to see it, you right. know, and not have to guess. And I'm not that's not an important thing to me. But to a lot of women, it is that they they want their appearance to be the way that it used to be. And it's hard because mm. you never really are quite what you were, even if you have, you know, replacements. It's not the same. Well, let's talk about the course of treatment that, mm-hmm. that you opted for. So you get this call. You, I assume, have a, some time to process the information. When did you start discussing course of treatment? Was that within a right week. Away? Okay, within a week. I didn't want to wait. I'm not one to wait. When something is wrong, I want to fix it as soon as I can. Sure. 
And I went in and I, they said I could have one removed because there was nothing wrong with the other. And I said, absolutely not. Symmetry does matter to me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the rest of it was okay. I could handle that. There's a lot of women that are smaller chested that sometimes you can't tell. But yeah, the symmetry had to be there. So I said, no, I want them both gone, just smooth. I want to be able to see if something starts to happen on the bone line or any of the scar lines or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So um, we had that done. Let's see, I was informed May was it i want to say may 6th and then in june we set it and then july 18th they they did the removal there we go how was that procedure for you i had a great doctor he listened to me and did everything i asked i said look i you don't need to leave any excess skin i'm not going to be doing reconstruction i really want you to make this look as smooth and clean as possible imagine somebody came to you and said that they felt they were in the wrong body Mm. and do it do it like that so that it's nice neat and clean and he did an amazing job and where he took the lymph nodes out they took i believe 11 and they found it in four but they didn't find it in all of them so that was fortunate that hadn't quite gone all that way yet but um yeah that was so with the mastectomy the doctor told you that was your best course of treatment that you know it definitely had one of them definitely okay the the second one was my choice but yes he said that there's no way around that it had grown too big so what uh, did you do anything else in addition i did um it's legal in some states it's not legal in others but i did do a little bit of therapy with oil uh some of the thc oil and different things like that it really if nothing else it really calmed me down I operated at too high of a stress level at first where I was just constantly tense and panicking about the whole thing. And for me, it helped. It also helped with not being nauseous all the time. When they started the chemotherapy, there were so many things that you can heal with nature. Sure. Whether they like it or not, you know, whether the drug companies like it or not, it worked better than any of those pain pills and things like that. So, Um, When did you bring the nutrition component into this? Immediately. Immediately. Okay. For me, look, I, I've never really played around when it came to nutrition. I was a college athlete, so I've always believed you take care of your body. And my mother did raise me mostly vegetarian. And I was having trouble keeping anything down. I was eating what I would normally have eaten, salad, what have you. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Salad is like the worst thing you can possibly eat when you're going through chemo because it just acts like a you know, giant rake going through your system and it's horrible. Mm -hmm. So I was left like losing weight like crazy. I mean, I was losing a lot of weight and I couldn't keep anything down and it was just misery. So I went into the nutritionist or the naturopath that was at the um, cancer treatment centers of America. That's Mm -hmm. where I went. And they said, well, I said, I don't want to drink and sure. (laughs) Don't like it. It's chemicals and sugar. And I just have no interest in it. And she said, well, we did get this new product in that, you know, they had never had it before either. And no one had tried it yet. And she handed me a couple of containers of the chocolate. It was the first thing I ate since starting chemo that didn't make me sick. Wow. And I mean, didn't I to the I cannot I am not paid by them. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I were, but I'm not. But this stuff is. It's amazing. Right. I mean, it, it was a complete turnaround for me. Even when I couldn't eat anything else, everything tasted bad, smelled bad. It was just like making me sick left and right because I went through a really long course of treatment because of how advanced it had gotten. I was I was getting an awful lot of chemotherapy. Right. And, and before this, I mean, I had no energy. I couldn't stay awake. I was crying all the time. Just random weird stuff was happening that's not like me. And once I was finally able to find something I could drink that would give me good energy 
and you know something that I could process through my through my body. It was it was night and day for me. It really was the the chemo. So you said that it was a, a long course of treatment. Mm-hmm. How, how long are we talking? Uh, let's see. We did chemo every three weeks for seven months. Oh, okay, so seven yeah. months. Goodness. Talk to me about the days when it was it was time to go in and, and get that treatment. I don't even like thinking about it. <laughs> I, that, I mean, I'll, I can talk about it, but that was the worst. I mean, I I live in a small town in Georgia, and then I would fly to Atlanta for the treatment. Mm. And so, you know, you're sick as it is, and then you got to get on an airplane looking like death warmed over and trying to get to this place that you have to go to. And so it was depressing. I had to do it by myself because I didn't, uh, you know, my, my wife, she had to work. You know, right. one of us had to work to have insurance, right? Sure. So I'm doing this by myself, and it was really... It, it was emotional and really hard for me. I bet. You don't want to show it to the person either. Like, you no. want them to think you're fine because they already feel bad they can't come. Right. So, yeah, it was just all around. It was depressing. So, and then topping it off with being dumped in the emergency room every so often because I'd be dehydrated before I was able to find something to eat. It was miserable. It was absolutely miserable. And I could see why some women, I saw women stop chemo. Yeah. They just couldn't do it. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you an interesting story. Uh, I interviewed uh, – this was a gentleman, and he had prostate cancer. But I've, I've actually heard similar accounts from other people too where they adopted a plant-based diet, a whole food plant-based diet during their course of treatment. And they said that that really helped with a lot of the symptoms that you're talking about, a lot of that nausea, that ill feeling. Mm-hmm. And they even – went Skin? So- yeah, the skin. He said your mouth. <laughs> while other other people in his group, you know, were starting to lose their hair, he kept all of his. You know, oh wow, he got lucky. I didn't. You know, years later, it fell out. You know, time right. catches up with everybody. <laughs> but you know, like he, right. he kept his full head of hair, and you know, while everybody else in the group was being fed donuts and cheeseburgers and things like that, he's eating this he whole food plant based diet, and and he said that it just paid the biggest dividend for him it really did it like me it before she would leave for work she put a cooler by my bed and the only lettuce i could eat was iceberg because we all know icebergs mostly just water of course so but that was something to chew on so i felt like i was eating something and like at least four of these were sitting in there and a giant bowl of watermelon yeah giant watermelon is my fan that's the that's your best well i mean you're from the south right you know it's you're from georgia right (laughs) yeah i mean come on right right you know yeah no but it was perfect though because it didn't make me that didn't make me sick either but it certainly is not nutritional so having those i just really the plant-based was the way to go i cut out most it was hard for me to cut out the sugar but that was the one thing i cut out right because i've always liked sweets and sweet tea and stuff like that so so yeah so we've got the iceberg lettuce the watermelon and and the cape farms uh we've got chocolate and vanilla here in front of us Mm -hmm. which is chocolate chocolate gotta be chocolate the dutch cocoa they put in there is just like what i used to get in chocolate milk when i was a kid really yeah i was i was shocked i was like oh it's they say it's Dutch chocolate. Mm. It's chocolate and whatever. I tried it. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is really, really good. And I was expecting it to be like most of those ones that have peas as the as the plant as their basis are gritty. Yeah. No. Nah. No. No. These these are like drinking a milkshake. No. Nah. It was good. Yeah. Much better cold, by the way. Don't drink it. Don't drink it warm. It's not so good warm. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a shake. I mean, whether it's Kate Farms or... It. It's got to be cold. Yeah, it's got to be cold. Cold beverages. Yeah. You know, come on. Uh, so how are, how are you doing today? I mean, you look great. 
I actually am doing pretty good. There's the side effects that are that are there whether I like it or not. And I tried my best around them. Like I have neuropathy still in my feet and in my fingers. And um, I can't feel three fingers on each hand. And I can't feel three toes on each foot. You know, so it's interesting when you stumble and you don't know why because there's nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> you can't feel your feet. Right. But um, there's that. And I did lose. I had never wore glasses until now. Uh, this is the first time I've ever had to have them. But it messed my eyes up really, really did bad. It. Did yeah. it. And, you know, things of that nature. But by and large, I've recovered very, very well. Um, I'm now discovering that this is also continuing to help while taking these pills they're making me take for five years that make your joints and your bones just ache. It's letrozole, I believe they called it. And that's one of the major side effects is bone and joint pain. Mm. And they're not kidding. Wow. They are not kidding. And when you add inflammatory foods, which I educated myself on, and you add those foods in, it makes it a thousand times worse. So it's just better to stay on a plant-based diet. Right. And I, you know, granted I had experience with it before, but there are ways to do that that are not overwhelming, you know. And I think as a former college athlete, like you understand how important it is, those anti-inflammatory properties. So that's something that you recognized and you were able to make that connection straight away. Yep. Straight away. Um, what, What did you play in college, by the way? Fast pitch. Fast, oh, softball player. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We were no good back when I was there. My team is good now, but we, <laughs> I had fun. I enjoyed it. Oh, that's just it. Yeah. I mean, it's all about the experience. Yes. Yeah, I did lacrosse in high school, football, and in football, like we just didn't win a game. But I would but not. You had fun. I would not trade that nope, experience nope. for the world. <laughs> oh, it, that's it was what the, I was saying to uh, to someone earlier today. Was that I'd, it, despite all the knee surgeries and whatnot, so what? Yeah. I enjoyed it. <laughs> it's completely worth it. It's completely worth yes. it. Um, let me ask you this. Sure. I, I want to I end, you know, obviously on, on a positive note. There are a lot of people listening to our Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign this month. And there are women who are terrified that either A, breast cancer is in their future, or B, they're going through it as we speak. What is your message to them? What inspiration, what hope can you offer? That's it's individual. A lot of times, it depends on the person's personality. Find what your what were you what previously made you happy, and if you can make some variation of that still exist in your life even when you're sick, it helps. Like me, I am an animal rescuer, so my animals were a constant part of me. They were on my bed, they were with me when I was sick. I didn't push them out of the room and do all of that. Let people in. Honestly, your family can be that support system. If you find somebody is not being your support system and they're not positive for you and they're, you know, they're bring negativity to your life, that's got to go. Mm-hmm. Negativity has got to go. You're going to find enough negativity on your own when you're not feeling well that you need somebody there that isn't necessarily going to be a cheerleader but can find a way to help prop you up. Right. You know, and I wasn't kidding when I said gratefulness. Having the ability to look and see how many things you have that you can be thankful for you can distract yourself to some degree because there isn't anything about cancer that's positive, let's be honest. But you can have an attitude about it that will let something positive come from it at a later point. Sure. And I just I found little bits and pieces and ways to do that. Animals, I, I think a that's, huge that's therapy. the key. I oh, mean, my goodness. So a lot of people here with the Physicians Committee, a lot of our members, you know, they, they went plant-based. They went vegan because of the animal welfare aspect of it. So yep. you say that and, you know, it's just like the angels are singing yes. from on high. <laughs> uh, so what, what kind of animals are we talking about? Who are, who are we rescuing? Uh, I, have, uh, I have two boxers. I have two yeah. little terriers. I have one mutt that just showed up at the door and decided she didn't uh-huh. want to leave. 
and a cat that I found out underneath the shed when she was teeny tiny. She went with me to radiation. By the way, if you can take an animal to the hotel when you're if you're wherever you are that you're doing radiation, if you can bring that animal with you, especially a cat, they're remarkably aware. Like she was the best thing. I would come in and I'd lay down and just be miserable. She'd curl up right by my head and start licking my cheek. And she was, honestly, I made it through, I think, largely because I had some kind of company there that didn't have to talk. Animals are so intuitive like that. They absolutely are. Except when you have surgical scars, they're not always so aware of those. But (laughs) that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other animal. But yes. (laughs) Um, Did you have to register? Uh, that is a therapy animal or no uh, like? the the hotel that i was placed in while they were doing the, the 20 i think they did 25 radiations um i was there for a little over a month and it was just a 50 dollar deposit and i got to bring the got to bring her with totally worth it right yes it was definitely worth it <laughs> that's amazing um and i can't let you go also kate farms is such a huge huge part of why we're able to do our let's beat breast cancer campaign not just this series of podcasts but every single thing that we're doing throughout the month of October. It's really extraordinary. You mentioned that you were turned on to Kate Farms at one point, but when did you actually get plugged in with the company? Because when they were like, (laughs) you have to talk to Jennifer, she's a Kate Farms quote, and and I'm dead serious, super fan. I am. So when when did you get on their radar? Well, it's after the lady in the nutritionist, the naturopath, had told me about it and I tried it and I liked it so much and I went back and spoke to her again and she goes, would you be interested in talking to a representative of the company? And she gave me the guy's number, and I just snowballed from there. And I said, absolutely, if this will help somebody else, you know. Really, it's hope. You have to have hope. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you think there isn't any, you've got to find some somewhere, even if it's just the little piece that I can eat food. Yeah. You know, and this was huge. So for me, the importance of talking to them was immediate. I knew I needed to have something to say because there's just too many women and too many men at that place that I saw staggering around that were eating stuff they shouldn't be eating and were drinking and sure and all these other things and not doing well right that I'd literally would walk up to them and be like catch them when they're going into the cooler and I'd be like try that one try that one (laughs) and they did I mean I go home with cases of it they can't keep it there anymore it's it's gone all the time as soon as it comes in it's gone so. It's, it's that Dutch cocoa. It has to. Well, for me, it was. <laughs> yeah, that definitely helped. So, but yes, it. Yeah. Well, I, I will tell you what, Jen. I am. I am so grateful that you were here and you were able to share your story with us. Uh, because really, uh, I'm. I'm so very proud of you and so happy for you. And I think that, you know, throughout the course of this half hour conversation or so you know a lot of people are going to draw some inspiration some hope maybe they're having a dark day but you are that ray of sunshine for them today thank you thank you so very much for being here thank you many thanks to jen for so bravely sharing her story with us today it's remarkable to me that a plant-based formula turned her fortunes around during treatment. Now, I want to go back and revisit something that she said during our conversation. She said she doesn't eat soy because of the estrogen factor. And a lot of the research that we talk about here on the exam room, it debunks the myths surrounding soy. In fact, we're going to be devoting next week's episode entirely to that. 
dietitian extraordinaire Lee Crosby will be back to talk about that with us and all of the misinformation that is being spread. If you'll recall on the last episode, Dr. Neil Barnard openly stated that a lot of doctors and practitioners, well, they get their nutrition facts from a magazine. The truth is that nutrition isn't much more of a blip on the radar in terms of medical education, and that carries over into practice. And because of that, we have situations like this. Now, by no means is Jen at fault here. How could any patient be? We just have to do our best to change that narrative. So we're going to be passing on some information to her and... Maybe she'll also share that with her doctor so they can review it as well. And I'll tell you, Jen, the college athlete, she came on the show at the right time because the Game Changers documentary was just released on Netflix. You know that. It's all about athletes and nutrition. That's right. The Game Changers now available worldwide on Netflix. So clear your schedule. Watch it tonight. Anyway, before we fire up Netflix here at the office, we will also be passing along some information on athletes and nutrition to Jen as well. Now, it sounds like she's already pretty in tune with all of that since she's been studying up on anti-inflammatory foods. That's a big, big part of the documentary. Time for a bonus segment here on The Exam Room. Jen spoke a lot about Kate Farms, and that is a company with a purpose. A very, very big purpose. Founded by parents out of the love of their own daughter, a young girl by the name of Katie. And these parents, they are now helping thousands of others get the plant-based nutrition they need, even in the most dire of circumstances. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Our Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign rolls on throughout the month of October, and this campaign would not be possible without the support of some extraordinary partners, and I'm so privileged to be sitting across the table from one of our partners now. She is the Partnerships and Engagement Manager for Kate Farms, and with that, we welcome Melanie Cushman to the show. Mel, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. First of all... Thank you guys so very much for everything that you're doing to help us get this message out to let's beat breast cancer. Let's do it together. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for letting us partner with you guys. It's been a, it's a really good cause and it's been fun. So keep it going. I, well, that's the plan. That's why we're going to have this conversation, right? Um, I'm curious. Kate Farms, your products, 100% plant-based, correct? Yes. What are you guys seeing as far as the popularity of plant-based products and your consumer base as more and more people are exploring the plant-based world and really recognizing that there is this strong link between your health and your diet? Right. The way I like to think about it, and it kind of ties to our founding story. So Kate Farms was made for a little girl named Kate, who was born with cerebral palsy and is fed through a feeding tube. And she wasn't tolerating the nutrition she was getting through her feeding tube because it was whey or casein based and she is intolerant to dairy. So Katie was five years old and 16 pounds. And so Mm. her parents were seeing that their daughter was failing to thrive and they knew that there was something better that they needed to do for her. And so they made this plant-based formula. And so the way I like to see it is, okay, if 
I am eating a plant-based formula, why would I want my loved one who is sick not to have an an option to go plant-based, right? So that's where the plant-based movement for people in society, it also parallels with people that are in hospitals or people that are sick and they need the plant-based option too. Right. It's five years old and 16 pounds? Yeah. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yeah, because the option was to give her something. There are only, you know, options that were based on whey or casein um, on the market, and she was intolerant to them, but they didn't have a choice because there was nothing else available. So they knew there must be a better way, and they made one. So you said Katie wasn't thriving uh, until she got past the age of five and switched up the formulas. What happened after Kate Farms, the formula was developed? Yeah, so Katie was like sick growing up. So that means, you know, common colds or things like that. Just her immune system wasn't very strong. Um, And so after starting, after her parents made Kate Farms and after she had started having it regularly, um, her immune system got stronger. She wasn't as sick as regularly, which was great. Her like bloating, like gas, diarrhea, things like that were less. Um, and she just feels better and she's able, you can see it in the way that she communicates with people, although it might not be verbally, the way that she like looks at you or smiles at you or gets excited about things. Like she just feels better. Um, and now she's 13. Wow. Yeah. So she's 13 and she is able to do like adaptive bike riding and things like that. And she's really, she's doing so well. And Having, I just got to spend some time with her a couple weeks ago, and we had a blast. That's so, cool. Yeah. She's got a, a sparkle in her eye. She does. That's outstanding. She does. So it's it started with the formulas for the feeding tube. When did Cape Farms expand into having you know this line of drinks? So we have a line of medical products that are going that can go through feeding tubes and we also have some products that are meant just for drinking um so our complete line of products is for drinking it's not sole source nutrition um but all of our other formulas so the standard formula that we have here um vanilla and chocolate and our peptides and we have some pediatric products too those can all go through a feeding tube and importantly they can also be consumed orally so that means that if someone is trying to transition off of a feeding tube. So say you're starting to get better and you want to start oral intake, you're not worried about switching up food and causing intolerance. It's going to be the same thing, right? So um, that's really good for them. Um, and they taste great. That's what we want. Like we want to be able to like, I can sit next to Katie and drink at Kate Farms and she can take hers through her G2. And that is the point because food is so much like, like how we feel and how we feel physically and how we feel like in community and socially, like we gather and we eat together so often. And so it was really important to us to make sure that we made something that tasted great. So that if Katie like burped a little bit, she would taste it and it wouldn't taste bad. Right. Cause she's still, she is very much a person and we wow. care so much about people as like holistic beings that we don't want to just give her just enough things to make her survive. Like we want her to thrive and she is. So yeah, that's the heart of why our formulas also taste great. You just said something that blew my mind. So it sounds a little weird, but if she burps, she can taste it and it tastes good. Right. Even though she's not drinking it herself and it's going in through the tube, she can still taste it. Right. Like if your only experience of food was like burping up something and having it taste awful, like that makes food seem awful right right so when food tastes good though then you're recognizing like that is something good that is something that's like nourishing to my body but clearly i mean this is beneficial for so many people when when did kind of the light bulb go off for katie's family who had this developed like well you know 
it's more than just her that can benefit from this. You know, let's let's try to bring this to market. Let's try to help people like Jen, who we just spoke with, you know, who are undergoing chemo treatment and are looking for a plant-based option, you know, something to really help them out. When did you guys start to expand? Yeah, so I think as immediately as soon as Katie started getting better, they knew like so many people could be helped by this. Um, and it wasn't just people who had cerebral palsy like Katie, but it was people with a variety of conditions, which means you know cancer, which means ALS, which means so many different things, gastroparesis. Um, but people could benefit from plant-based nutrition that they had made for their daughter, um, and they knew that they had the better option. So if somebody's hearing this right now and they're interested in giving you guys a, a taste test, as it were, you know, g- they're not insure people. They want to be Kate Farms people. Where can they find you? Yeah. So we have a website, katefarms.com. Um, and you can also get in our touch with our customer care team there. So our customer care team are insurance experts. So if you are going through cancer treatment, our prescribed formula, or if you have a feeding tube in our prescribed formula, if you are headed down that road where feeding tube might be in your future, um, you can give them a call and they can let you know just kind of what this process looks like because it's a lot for someone to take in. Like mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you might be faced with a new diagnosis and a new this and a new that, and everything seems so new and there's not anyone to help you through it. And so one thing that our team loves to do is just be on the phone with people and talk to them and care for them and say, like, here is how this process works. You're going to get a prescription. It's going to come from a home medical supplier or things like that. Um, And if you don't have insurance coverage for it, but you still want to try it, you can go to katefarms.com, and they're available there also. Melanie Cushman from Kate Farms. Check them out, katefarms.com. And, of course, thank you guys again so much for being such extraordinary partners with us at the Physicians Committee for the Let's Beat Breast Cancer Campaign. That's just fantastic. Thank you so very much. Yeah, we're thankful, too. Time now to welcome Dr. Christy Funk back to the exam room. And this week, she's here focusing on the second of four steps. That's a very appropriate word. The second step to fighting breast cancer. And that step is exercise. As our Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign rolls on. Continuing here as we take a look at the Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign here on the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Joined once again by Dr. Christy Funk. She is the author of Breast, the Owner's Manual, and a person who is really just doing extraordinary things with us this year with this campaign. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Chuck. Last week, we talked about the importance. The first prong in our four-pronged approach was uh, eating a plant-based diet. This week, I want to ask you about exercise. That is the second prong. So when it comes to reducing the risk of cancer, breast cancer specifically, how important is it that we get up off the couch and get moving? It is so important to get up off that couch. Uh, Leading a sedentary lifestyle contributes worldwide to about 25% of all the breast cancer that's diagnosed. So. We really want to get up and move. And for some people, that can be a daunting and new experience. But I'll encourage you with this little factoid. There was a big study following women 10 years, 17,000 women to be exact. And all they did was walk briskly for one and a half to two and a half hours a week. And in those who literally just walked briskly for 11 minutes a day, they dropped breast cancer by 18%. Mm. 
So just putting a little pep in your step and actually exercising to the point where it's a little harder to carry on a conversation and sweat drops cancer 30 to 40% for three to four hours a week. So the more you exercise and the more intensely you exercise, the greater the benefit. But even just the briskly walking has a tremendous effect. So the main drivers for um, anti-cancer power in exercise have to be dropping estrogen levels. So 80% of cancers are fueled by estrogen and exercise lowers those estrogen levels. It also improves insulin sensitivity. So the way that your body and your muscles uses glucose and responds to the insulin's directive to like, hey, let's use up the sugar. And then when there's excess, let's store it as glycogen. Every, that works more efficiently so that you're not living in a state of high insulin. Insulin is a growth promoter. Insulin is a cancer driver. So exercise helps you get rid of your insulin levels faster. So that's important too. I just want to ask, because I'm sure that there is, is somebody wondering, you, going back to talking about walking briskly, like we're not talking about almost a, a jog, right? We're not talking about speed walking that we see in the Olympics, right? No, not Olympic style, but style for you that probably just gets your heart rate up a little bit. You still can carry on a conversation. So you can walk briskly with your best friend for 11 minutes and have all this benefit. Gotcha. The National Institutes of Health puts an ideal number of minutes on exercise to achieve optimal health and their lofty goals, but I don't think we should shy away from them and put them any lower for you. This is where your goals should be. You need five hours a week if when you're doing your exercise, you can carry on conversation. So your heart rate's up, but you're not super sweaty and you're not huffing and puffing. If you are, however, doing vigorous exercise, you only need two and a half hours a week. So those are your ultimate goals, but don't be put off by thinking that those are three years away for you because the idea of walking up a flight of stairs has you already huffing and puffing. That's right. okay. That's where you are. Just do it. If you have to walk around the block and then take a break, take that break. And that's all you can do today. Shower off and do it again tomorrow. Don't be discouraged by being what feels like eons away from a five hour a week workout session. Um, those are goals that everyone can achieve. And I know actionable ways to get you there. But in the short term, your body needs to acclimate. So be kind to yourself. So this is powerful. There was a study that looked at women with breast cancer and they had to exercise 30 minutes a day, but it wasn't a big deal. It was just briskly walking. So they had to walk 30 minutes a day, six days a week and consume five servings of fruits or vegetables a day. And those women had a 44% increase in survival over other women who did one or none of those things. And what's further than that is women who decrease their activity after a breast cancer diagnosis, so they do less than what they were doing before, had a 300% drop in survival over those who maintained or increased their activity level. So you definitely want to get a move on. Yeah, really. And I think that that's so critical because, you know, they say that every great journey begins with the first step. But you and I both know that that first step can often be the hardest to take. But I think that, you know, especially when it comes to somebody who has been sedentary, maybe that they're overweight, you know, just really out of shape at that point in their life. It's so important that your message is, hey, you don't have to go out and get a gym membership and spend five hours a day in there. Just right. go for a walk around the block. Start there. And it's okay to start there. Yeah. And I even do it to myself because there are days 
where I'm not going to be able to exercise. I have a goal of wanting to exercise like 45 minutes to an hour, but sometimes I know it's just not going to work. And let's face it, ladies, especially if you've got to go somewhere afterwards, then you got to shower and clean your hair and get your makeup back on. Like, oh, such a pain. It's like way more than 20. <laughs> but I'll tell myself, look, just do this. Just go down on the bike uh, downstairs because I'm upstairs and the bike's downstairs. So I'll tell myself, just ride the bike for 20 minutes and be done with it. Don't think of yourself as like, oh, I didn't do what I really should be doing. No, the goal for today was 20 minutes and I met it and I showered and I went on. And I don't let myself actually on those days go like, oh, I guess I can swing 10 more minutes because that just sets my future self up for failure. Because I'm going to say to myself, oh, you'll do 20 minutes, but you really should do 30 or 40. No, today's goal is 20. I met 20. If today's goal is twice around these blocks, stop there and move on so that you don't get into this. Um, that first step is hard to take thing because you mm -hmm. know that if I take a first step, there have to be 10,000 more after that. No, today, today the goal is 200 steps. So you can do 200, take one and 199 more and then come back tomorrow. Right. And, and I mean, we've talked about this previously as well. You know, that goes to that positive mental attitude as well. If you set goals that you can achieve and are realistic, you hit those goals, you're going to feel great. You know, you're not going to have that letdown. And of course, if you feel great, you want to continue to feel great. So you're going to continue to hit those goals that you set for yourself. I love those tips. The other thing about exercise is that it doesn't stop and start with the breast cancer benefits. Really, it helps maintain weight loss, puts you in a better mood. It leads to better sleep, deeper sleep, so you wake up more refreshed, a sharper mind. Leads to better bowel movements and clearer skin. It really has endless benefits to exercise. We're just focusing on the breast cancer as the hook to get you started. But then you will get hooked by how great you feel. You talked about walking with a friend. I want to ask you about this uh, really quickly. We only have a minute here, but on PinkLotus.com, you have built this extraordinary community. And I think that, you know, having that, that sense of community and that support system is so critically important, whether you're battling breast cancer or really anything else. Talk to us a little bit about this community that you've developed there. So it's called Power Up, which is our social community and educational blogs exist there too. But what we have that I love are a number of different little worlds that you can enter into totally of your own volition. You can actually kind of go as a voyeur and not be seen. So there's like the full functionality of Facebook where you can go in and just read what other people are posting, but not actually post yourself, but it's just like Facebook. Then we have the functionality of Craigslist where you can buy, sell, trade your gently used wigs scarves, hats, the post mastectomy bras that you didn't end up using. And so that these don't go to waste because you don't know anyone who wants them, but I do. So we've got our whole breast list, it's called. And then my favorite by far is Breast Buddies. It's something I started with um, a different name two, 20 years ago, uh, and it's called Breast Buddies now. You go online and you either are a buddy, you want to be a buddy, or you need a buddy. In other words, you either were just diagnosed with breast cancer and need some social support and help, or you've been there, done that, and you would love to turn around and help someone who's just beginning this journey. And what we do is pair people age for age and stage for stage. And then we can add on other things like, well, I'm doing mastectomy and I need chemo. So boop, just like match.com, up will pop a woman who had a mastectomy, who did chemotherapy, and she says she has a five and a 10 year old. You know, how did she, they break the news about uh, mommy might go bald and all that. So it's a really beautiful community completely for the purposes of psychosocial support, 100% free, international. And so I encourage people to explore Pink Lotus Power Up. There's just a world of 
of sisterhood in there that you deserve to know. Check it out, pinklotus.com. And of course, go pick up the book, Breast the Owner's Manual. Dr. Christy Fogg, thank you so very much for your time. We'll speak to you again next week. See you soon. Have you taken the Let's Beat Breast Cancer Pledge yet? Do that now and pledge to follow the four steps to lowering your risk of cancer. Head to letsbeatbreastcancer.org right now and do that. And when you take that pledge, you will also get the free Breast Ever e-cookbook. Yes, the Breast Ever e-cookbook. It's filled with delicious plant-based recipes all made from cancer-fighting ingredients. And oh, how good they are. Not only... Are they packed with cancer-kicking nutrients? But they're also packed with flavor. I highly recommend the chickpea salad with orange miso dressing and Dr. Funk's antioxidant smoothie that she says has the most cancer-kicking compounds found in any one glass of goodness on earth. (laughs) Next week on the show, the Craws finally comes back to the exam room. Registered dietitian Lee Crosby will be here to shatter the myths surrounding soy and cancer. And Dr. Funk, she will also be back with the third of our four cancer-fighting steps. This one, limiting alcohol. If you drink, and if you drink daily, you're constantly hitting your MTHFR, so you're never getting the methylfolate you need. So what is a drink? In America, it's 14 grams of alcohol because we supersize everything. So that would be five ounces of wine is 1.5 ounces of hard liquor is 12 ounces of beer, okay? So pick your poison and here we go. A drink a day increases breast cancer by 10%, two drinks a day, 30%, three drinks a day, 40%, and you can just keep on adding another 10% per drink and probably around then call your doctor for help. But if you're drinking though, one or two drinks a day in this phenomenon is definitely on the reported rise. There are more women drinking today in America than ever before in our history as a nation. And I believe a lot of that has to do with stress and mismanaging it with alcohol because we have entered the workforce in droves and now we're trying to do it all and be a mom and be a professional and be a friend and be a wife and be, you know, it's just an endless to-do list. So we've matched and in some pockets in some cities exceeded the drinking levels of men who have turned to alcohol possibly for those very same reasons way back. But the point simply is that alcohol at the end of the day increases cancer risk. Therefore, removing or limiting alcohol will decrease your cancer risk. That's next week on the show. So make sure that you subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast and wherever shows are available. And please, when you subscribe, also give the show a five-star rating. Because when you do, you are helping us reach as many eyes and as ears and touch as many lives as possible. Because the more high ratings we have, the higher our rankings in Apple Podcasts become. And the higher the rankings, the more eyes, the more ears see and hear this life-saving information. So please subscribe and give us that five-star rating and help save a life. The Physicians Committee's Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign is made possible in part by Switch for Good 
a growing coalition made up of dairy-free athletes, trainers, doctors, nutritionists, and influencers. Switch for good. Live better. Do more. Dairy-free. Online at switchforgood.com. WFPB.org, an independent 501c3 nonprofit organization empowering sustainable health for humans and the planet through a plant-based lifestyle. Check out their site and the International Association on Reverse of Medicine at WFPB.org. Purple Carrot Plant-Based Meal Delivery Service. Looking for a delicious and convenient way to add more plant-based meals to your diet? Well, are you? <laughs> Purple Carrot is the best way to experience new and inspiring vegan recipes every week. Choose from a variety of meal delivery plans at purplecarrot.com. And by Candle Cafe Hospitality, New York City's premier restaurant group for healthy, plant-based, and locally sourced meals. Three locations to choose from. Candle Cafe. Pure passion, pure ingredients, pure love. Online at CandleCafe.com. Say, are you wondering something about health and nutrition? Because we would love to answer that question right here on the show. So don't hesitate to ask. We are on Twitter at Chuck Carroll WLC and at PCRM. And you can also shoot us that question on Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC and at Physicians Committee. We would love to hear from you and help get you an answer. What a loaded show this week. My thanks again to Allison Tierney, Jennifer Hill, Melanie Cushman, and Dr. Christy Funk. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for joining us. And remember, keep it plant-based and let's beat breast cancer. <laughs> <laughs>